0: Our scripture is John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord.
1: invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we just read that. Uh, if you're uh, visiting here with us, or you don't have a Bible of your own, or you don't know where your Bible is, please take that one. that's in the pew in front of you, and uh, keep that as a gift. Uh, we, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. If you're visiting with us, we are in a study on John's Gospel. We've been here for few months now and there's no end in sight we'll keep walking through this magnificent book and seeing the wonderful teachings of the Lord Jesus and seeing the miraculous works that he did while he was here on the earth and we come in John chapter 4 to an encounter with an official and his son and what happens is through this event through this story Jesus exposes what true faith really looks like and how so often, the faith that people come to him with is not actually the faith he seeks. Now, uh, um, this is probably the worst kept secret in the world that I am a big Star Wars fan. That's uh, no surprise to any of you. Um, but like a true Star Wars nerd, oftentimes we also have a, an affinity in our hearts for Indiana Jones. So about a week and a half ago, you know, opening night of the new movie, There I Was, um, it's, a, it's a good movie, enjoyable. If you like the franchise, um, go see it. Uh, there's, a, there's a line in there that he says, and I'm not spoiling anything, it's in the trailers and all that too. And there's a line in there where he says this, that he's come to realize that it's not so much what you believe as much as how hard you believe it. Now, I I don't know who I am to disagree with Dr. Jones there, but let me tell you, that statement only holds up insofar as your life is actually good and comfortable. Because when things get hard, it matters greatly that your faith is actually in the right things. Not just a lot of strong faith can, can do much about that, it matters who is my faith really in and is it rightly placed in Jesus. See, one of the most unavoidable realities of life is that sorrow and pain and hardship and grief will come our ways. They'll come for every one of us. And we invest billions of dollars into trying to alleviate this, and we spend our lives running after whatever it is that we think is going to give us the easiest and happiest life, and yet for as many great improvements have really come to help with that, no one has figured out a way to walk on this broken, sinful earth without pain and sorrow. It will come for every one of us, we will face it. And what we do in those moments when it comes for us is perhaps the most defining decisions that we will make in our lives. What do you do? How do you respond to the hardships? How do you respond to the pain? How do you respond to the sorrow? It's in those moments where all else is stripped away and shown to be worthless, It's where all those false faiths, just believe in it harder, have have more faith in that, won't work. And the question is, where does your faith really lie? There's a great many people who seem to have a peacetime faith, a faith that works when life is good and easy because it depends upon the material blessings and prosperities that come with it. So as long as I have that, then my life is great and I have faith. But as long as I don't have that, then I assume something must be wrong with my faith. Maybe I need to have a little bit more faith. Maybe my faith in the wrong thing. And we begin to question all of these realities what we come to in our text today is a man who is brought to the brink of despair as he faces the, the imminent death of his son, and he has nowhere else to turn except to the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we'll see in our text, wants no part of a faith that looks to him just for some great signs and wonders, but that doesn't look to him as the Savior and the Lord. See, what's happened in our text in John chapter 4 is where we left off last week, we saw the response of the Samaritans, the crowds there in Samaria. And what happens is the Samaritans, uh, they, they come out to see Jesus, and they're, they're so impressed by him, they say, would you stay with us two more days? And so he does. He stays with them two days longer. And what happens is there's this mini revival that breaks out in the unlikeliest of places there in the hated Samaria. And people start turning to Jesus for salvation. They say in verse 42 to the woman from the well, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the savior of the world. There's this revival breaking out there and then Jesus decides he's going to leave there to go to a place where he will be rejected. And we see this in our text in verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now there's a few problems in those verses that I don't know if you caught or not. Sometimes when you're reading through scripture, you will come to passages that seem to you to be contradictory to other parts of scripture, seem to you to be problematic. And you say, "Uh uh-oh, what do I do with that? And one option is just to kind of dismiss it and say, see, I I knew we can't really trust the Bible. But let me tell you that when you come to those passages, as you're reading through the Bible, there are actually good answers for what's really going on. And if we dive deep into understanding what's running throughout all these things is that we will see then the context in which this story with the official's son happens. Because I think when we see what's happening in these verses, which looks to be a little problematic at first, when we see what's happening there, it will set us up to rightly understand what happens with this story that comes later. See, the first aspect of it is this, that when Jesus departs for Galilee and says, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Well, Jesus is from the region of Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem, but the New Testament regards him as being from Nazareth. That was his hometown where he grew up in Galilee. So here's what it's telling you. Jesus leaves Samaria where this revival's breaking out and goes to his hometown, his home region, his home field turf of Galilee. Why? For, this is the reason why, he knew a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Doesn't seem to make much sense to us. And the reason it doesn't make much sense to us is because it, it, it shows how our, our ideas, our, our, our way of living is different than Jesus' ideas and Jesus' way of living. He's wired differently than we are. See, I don't know any of us who would say, well, hey, you know what? Uh, Here's here's what I want to do, Lord. Just tell me where it's going to be the hardest and I'm going to have the most rejection and that's where I want to go. I mean, we're not wired that way. We don't want that to be the case. But Jesus doesn't shy away from the path of most rejection in his life. He heads to Galilee. He knows these people are going to reject me. They're not going to honor me as Lord. And he's going there anyway. And this is good news for you and I. This is good news for us because our Savior does not just take the path of least rejection. He doesn't just try to find the easiest way out because a few years after this event, the Lord will head to Jerusalem where he knows what will happen there. He knows people will reject him, will mock him, will hang him up upon a cross and he didn't avoid the path of rejection. He walked right into it. Why? Because his mission was to come to redeem his people, to save his people, that all who would turn to him by faith would be safe through the death and the resurrection of Christ. He didn't avoid the path of rejection. He actually walked right into it because he knew that hundreds of years before this, the prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah would come and would be rejected by men. Jesus knew that he had to be rejected by them. And it was for our sake for our hope for our salvation so he doesn't shy away from these things he walks into it see our hope of salvation rests in the fact that jesus did not shy away from leaving the comforts of heaven to come to a world that would scorn him and reject him and mock him and kill him but he endured for our sake out of love that all who believe in him would be saved, that all who trust in his death and his resurrection would be brought to eternal life through faith in Jesus. And so the question that is important for us to consider is what kind of faith then is he looking for? Because that's not the most difficult part of these verses. Here's the more difficult part. Jesus says the prophet has no honor in his hometown, but when he comes to Galilee, look what it says. They welcomed him. Is Jesus wrong? He says he's not going to have any honor, and when he comes, they welcomed him. You say, what's going on here? Well, John helps us. Look at the the, the full verse 45, not just that first part. Look at where he goes from there. When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So John tells you, all right, these crowds had seen Jesus before. They had seen him at Jerusalem at the feasts had seen the signs he was doing well turn back in your Bibles one page to John chapter 2 John chapter 2 we read about what happened there when the crowds gathered at the feast in Jerusalem and this helps us understand John's telling you these were these were the people who were there at this event which helps us make sense of what's happening John chapter 2 verse 23 now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. John's telling you that these people welcoming him here in Galilee, the welcoming party rolling out the red carpet for him, they're the people that were there at the feast. They had a kind of welcome for Jesus that was not actually honoring to Jesus. This is a different kind of faith. Did you know there's a kind of faith that Jesus doesn't believe in? Did you know that there's a kind of trust in him that Jesus does not entrust himself to? Did you know that there's a kind of drawing near to Jesus that he will not draw near to to you? He knows what's in the hearts of men. He knows those who are truly seeking him and those who are merely amazed by the signs. And here's where the main point then of our text comes is this, true faith does not depend on seeing the signs, but trusting the Savior. See, true faith is not just about seeing the signs he does and being wowed by them. True faith comes in trusting the Savior as Lord and God. See, what's happening is the response that Jesus receives when he comes into Galilee is different than the response he is after, the response he wants. There's a kind of welcome that actually dishonors him. There's a kind of faith that he doesn't... Except sometimes people could assume wrong with it. Well, as long as you have the right ideas and the right motives and the right intentions and you, as long as you're seeking Jesus, you must be doing something right. Or as long as you're in church, you must be doing something right. But the question actually is what kind of faith do you have? Do you have a genuine, true faith in Jesus as the savior or are you merely amazed at the wonderful signs that he does and thinks, well, that's, that's great. Only buy a front row seat to watch what he's doing, but not trust in him as my Lord. And we see from these verses perhaps a challenge that can come to us when it comes to trusting Jesus. And it can be that we are sometimes overly familiar with him. But you know you can be so familiar with Jesus that sometimes it can work against saving faith. So here's what he says. He says, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Some of you know, in a community like Ashland, some of you know what it's like to grow up in a community and then to live in that same community as an adult. Some of you know what it's like even to grow up in a church and live and serve in that same church as an adult. And it's a wonderful thing. There's a lot of of great gifts that come that way, but it also can be sometimes awkward and difficult. Because this person changed my diaper in the nursery at church. This person saw me when I was a dumb teenager this person has seen me at my worst, and it makes it a little bit difficult as you start to then, then get into all these things. And what can happen then is, is those people just aren't that impressed with you. Jesus grew up in this town. They're not impressed by him. He's Joseph's son, the carpenter. We saw him when he was a, a little kid. So they were amazed by the, the wonderful miracles he was doing, but they weren't amazed by Jesus. He was just the, the guy next door the kid down the street just the carpenter's son there's a kind of familiarity with Jesus that can actually work against the kind of true faith he's after the kind of familiarity with Jesus that stops being amazed by him and is amazed only by the signs that stops being wowed by the Savior and wowed only by the great and the grand miracles that he does Maybe you know all the stories, grew up in church. You could tell, tell me a lot of things about Jesus. But you're so familiar with him, you view him more as the, the guy next door who you call on to help you when your life needs a little fixing. He was a carpenter after all, so he'll just help me fix some of these things. But I'm not amazed by him. I'm not in awe at who this guy is. And so what happens is we need the big and the grand, the big and the bold, the exciting, the entertaining. So what happens then is that it means church has to be entertaining or else it's not worth it. The Bible reading must be fresh and easy or else it's not worth it. And prayer must see immediate results that I ask for or else it's not worth it because we grow tired of not seeing the signs and the wonders that come our way. So maybe you're in the same situation as the Galileans. You welcome Jesus, you're glad he's here. It's not like I'm telling you, hey, Please leave. It's like, I'm glad you're here, Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm thankful for that. You're, you're awesome. But I'm not really amazed by you. Just do some more miracles. Amaze us. You know, we had a wonderful fireworks show. Ooh, ah, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. What next do you got for me? And to stopped being amazed by Jesus as the Savior. You might be wowed with wonder at the signs, but are you wowed with wonder at the Savior? True faith doesn't depend on seeing the signs. It depends on trusting the Savior. That's the kind of faith that Jesus says honors him. And then we come to the story of this official and his son, and we then begin to see how this is played out in practice. In this story of this man and his son, we see what true faith looks like. I think there's at least three elements in our text of this. And the first one, we pick it up in verse 46. Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. See, true faith turns to Jesus, that turns to Christ. John begins by reminding us of another uh, event that happened. There was a time in Cana, where Jesus made the water into wine. We saw that in chapter two as well. Jesus does this great miracle in Cana. All the people saw it as this wonderful thing. And I think maybe we're supposed to notice that there's a lot of similarities between that story and this one that we're considering today. For example, both of them begin when someone comes to Jesus with a problem. And then Jesus initially doesn't seem like he's inclined to help them with it, but then the person has a humble response of faith after which Jesus utters a command that is obeyed And in light of that, the need is met in such a way that the people who see it are brought to faith in Christ. That's the same with both of these stories. There's a lot of similarities of these two miracles in Cana. And yet there is a very noticeable and glaring difference in these stories as well. Because this man comes to Jesus and he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. This man is is an official, a royal official. Many many assume he was an official in Herod's court, King Herod. So this would be a man with considerable influence and, and wealth, and his son is dying. Through the water into wine happened at a celebration of a wedding. This miracle happens in the face of mourning what looks to be imminent death. If weddings are viewed as a demonstration of supreme joy, funerals are often viewed as a demonstration of supreme sorrow. So can the same faith sustain you at a funeral like it can at a wedding? Can the same faith sustain you in the sorrow as it can in the joy? Can the same faith sustain you in the hardship as it can in the ease? See friends, it all spectrums of the human life Jesus is what we need Jesus is spanning the scope of human experience with these two miracles in Cana marriage and death companionship and loneliness hope and fear joy and sorrow life and even death Jesus is what is needed at both and everywhere in between see when your life is great Jesus is what you need and when your life is hard Jesus is what you need When you are full of life and vigor, Jesus is what you need. And when you are approaching death and sickness, Jesus is what you need. And everywhere in between, this is a kind of faith that can strengthen you. Come what may in life, because Jesus is sufficient for us. That's what these stories are telling you. They're happening at the opposite ends of the human experience. See, this man comes to Jesus, and he is on the brink of despair. There is no greater heartbreak than to bury a child. And this man has probably tried everything else he can think of. He has gone and called all the doctors he can try to find. Various doctors come and, and none of them can do anything to heal his son's sickness. This man's exhausted all of his options, his money and his influence, they have gotten him pretty far in life, but they can do nothing right now to save his son. See, death comes for both the weak and for the powerful, for the poor and for the wealthy. And this man sits helpless, watching his son's life slip by. He sits weeping at his bedside, unable to do anything to help him. He would do anything, give any amount of money, use any of his power, any of his influence, if he could do anything to save his son, and he can't. And then he hears a report of a man coming to town. The wonder worker, Jesus, from Nazareth, And this man thinks, maybe he can help me. Maybe he can help me. And so he runs out and and goes to meet Jesus. And and in another town, he goes to meet Jesus. And you think about it, if not for his son's sickness, perhaps this man would never have sought out, out Jesus like this. After all, a royal official with money and power and influence, why would he have anything to gain from a homeless, wandering teacher like Jesus? He he might not be seeking out Jesus, and yet, here, at the brink of despair, as his son is dying, this man runs to him. It's a hard truth to grasp, especially in the midst of trials, but it might just be, friends, that the Lord is using the trials of your life to bring you to him in a way that you would not come to him otherwise. When life is good and easy, we don't really think I need him that much. And when life gets hard and painful, you say, I I have nowhere else to go, maybe I'll turn to Jesus. He uses trials for our good in our life to bring us to him. Maybe before you dismissed him as his teachings as outdated or strange, maybe you didn't really think you had much need for him, maybe you were overly familiar with him, but now in the midst of anxiety and sorrow, you realize, I I got nowhere else to turn, I'm going to come to Jesus." trials can be a means of God's grace as they bring us to him. See, this man recognized Jesus was the only one who could do something about death. He's the only one standing in the gap of life and death for my son. And in that, this man is far wiser than he even knew in the moment. He hasn't come right now with this full confession of faith, but he does know that Jesus is the only one who can keep his son from death. And friend, you need to know that Jesus is the only one who can keep you not just for physical death, but from, from, from spiritual death. We all will die physically, but how do I live eternally? So he came to Nicodemus in John chapter three and said, you must be born again. In other words, you're dead spiritually. What you need is to be given new life. Only Jesus can do that. He is in fact the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. He is the hope for all who turn to him for life. See, true faith turns to Christ. There's a contrast between those who come to Jesus in these chapters of John's Gospel. There's a religious leader named Nicodemus. There's a sinful woman at the well. There's a royal official in this nobleman. So what you have is from the religious to the pagan to the royalty, all people need Jesus. Everybody needs Christ. You're not exempt from it, you're not off the hook. I don't know where you're at today, but you're not exempt from the need of Christ, from the need of the eternal life that he offers. See, Nicodemus was confronted with the signs Jesus was doing. The woman at the well was confronted with the the sins she had committed. And this royal official is confronted with the reality of death that seems unavoidable. Everybody needs Christ. And what he does is, with all three of these people, he comes to them and brings them and says, here's what you need. Here's what you need. You need me. More than anything else, you need me. And the same would be true of you. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what you are confronted with this morning, what you need most is the Lord Jesus. True faith turns to Him. But true faith also trusts in Him. The second aspect of true faith we see in our text is that true faith trusts Christ. It doesn't just turn to Christ, it trusts Christ. And and this is where the context of our passage really helps us out, because Jesus will say something that seems rather shocking to us, and that seems rather insensitive to us, unless we understand what's really going on. Look at verse 48. So the man comes and says, basically, my son's dying, will you do something about it? And Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I mean, if Jesus was in seminary taking a class on pastoral care, he would flunk that assignment. That's not what you do. Someone comes to you saying, I need help, my son is dying. Even if you can't do anything about that, you say, oh, well, I'll pray for you. Jesus rebukes him. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. In fact, he says this to the crowds. It says, he says it to this man, but then he says, unless you, and that you is plural, unless you all, y'all, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He, it's a rebuke about a kind of faith that looks just for the signs, just for the miracles. And so again, it doesn't make sense to us unless we understand the context of what's happening. These crowds are in fact welcoming him, but it's not the kind of welcome Jesus wants. It's a welcome that says, hey, we can't wait to see what great things you do next. And so what does this man come and ask for? He asks for another great and mighty sign. And Jesus says, is that all, is that the only reason you're believing in me? the only reason you're believing in me, because you think I can do these awesome things, can work these wonders. See, true faith trusts Christ and his word. We've already seen there's a contrast between different kinds of faith. And there are people who come to Jesus just wanting some uh, material help, want to Have their felt needs met in a better way? See, I mean, you go on a wine tour around Israel and you think, hey, well, I hear this Jesus guy's got the best wine to offer, so let's go check him out. I mean, there's a kind of faith that just comes to you saying, hey, you know what? He's going to give me the best of this kind of stuff, and he's going to make my life all easier and make my life all better. But you're not really believing in him as the savior for your soul. You don't really confess that I'm a sinner in need of salvation, and I'm not really willing to submit to him as my Lord and follow him. I just want him to make my life a little bit easier. That's the kind of faith that was going on, and Jesus wants no part of that. And maybe the reason we're surprised by the response is because, see, in our day, people will do almost anything to get famous or to grow a crowd. I mean, how often are you scrolling through social media, maybe you're scrolling through some TikToks or something, and you see something, and after watching it, you just think, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But the reason people do that is because it gets attention. And any sort of attention is, is good. Anything I can do to get a bigger crowd following me or get more people looking to me or have more influence with other people, that's something I must do. See, we're so driven by numbers of crowds and influence and and, and power, and so we'll do anything to get it. And so it it shocks us that Jesus won't. He could do these signs and grow a far bigger crowd right now, and he refuses to do it. Because what he's after is true faith, genuine belief, and he knows That if I just give you all these things that you're looking for, you might just think, well, this is fine. We'll just kind of stay here. We don't need to go any further with you, Jesus. And it will not actually lead them to saving faith. See, John tells us at the very end of John's gospel, he says this, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see why Jesus did the signs he does? It's so that you would believe in him as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Lord, and that through believing in him, you would have life, eternal life in his name. That's why he does the signs. The signs are intended to point you to the Savior. And in Jesus' day, there's people approaching him purely for what they could get out of him. Consumers, just give me some signs, give me some healings, give me some comforts, but I don't really need you, Lord. Is that not still the case in our day? God exists to serve and meet my felt needs to make my life better and easier. Many have embraced a God who exists to serve us rather than a God whom we exist to serve. Many have embraced a God who is useful to us rather than a God who we must obey even at great cost to us. We, we have embraced a God who will meet our felt needs rather than a God whom we submit even those desires to. So what happens is prosperity preachers will hold up some material blessing and say, don't you want that? Well, just come to Jesus. He'll give it to you. And Jesus actually refuses to give those signs and says, here's what you need to believe in me as your savior. What we've been seeing in John's gospel is that spiritual curiosity does not equal genuine faith. Delight in the signs is not the same thing as delight in the savior. That's so why he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Later, when he talks with his disciple Thomas, and Thomas believes upon seeing the resurrected Christ, Jesus tells him this, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The kind of faith he's after doesn't rest upon seeing, but upon believing, upon trusting him and trusting his word. Maybe you're thinking this morning, hey, you know what? I'm not really convinced about this whole Jesus thing, but if he really wanted me to follow him, if he just showed up and did this mighty miraculous thing, well, then I would trust in him. And let me just say to you that people in his day didn't, and he knows that you won't either, because he's after a faith that doesn't rest on the signs, but looks to the Savior. But this man's caught up in desperation. He doesn't dispute any of that. He doesn't deny any of that, but he is pleading for mercy. He says, Sir, come down before my child dies. They've got nothing to barter with, nothing to make a bargain with Jesus for, but Jesus seems to notice something in him has genuine humility, truly seeking him. It's not just like the crowds. The crowds just wanna buy the the ticket to the latest act in the play of whatever Jesus is doing. Jesus' greatest hits, we just wanna see some of these things. And this man is looking for something different. He, he's truly coming and saying, "Listen, I got nothing to play. I got everything to lose. And he's hoping beyond hope that maybe this man's able to do something about his greatest problem." And so Jesus says to him, "Go, your son will live." You know, in a sense, Jesus doesn't give the man what he's asking for. The man says, "Hey, come with me and heal my son." And Jesus says to him, "I'm not going with you, but your son's going to live." In other words, this man has no assurance from Jesus that his son will be healed except for the word of Christ. He does not leave seeing a sign. He does not leave seeing his son healed. Maybe he just thought Jesus actually has to be physically present in the room to heal him, but Jesus can speak a word and his son's healed miles away. Now, if it were me, I'd be thinking, I don't don't know why this man wanted Jesus to come with him. Maybe he just thought he can't heal him. Otherwise, for me, I'd say, okay, Jesus, kind of come with me. And once I see my son's better, then you can leave. Once I see that he's healed, once I know for sure he's all right, you're free to go. And Jesus says, I'm not going with you, but your son's going to live. The only assurance he has is the word of Christ. and He trusts Jesus enough to obey him. See, true faith obeys Christ. It turns to Jesus, it trusts Jesus, and it obeys Jesus. Verse 50 tells us this. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. See, Jesus says the crowds just want a sign, and this man leaves without seeing the sign. We're going to see it later in our text, but this man hasn't seen it yet. He hasn't seen with his eyes that his son has lived He hasn't actually hugged him. He hasn't been able to to, to validate it, but he trusts the word of Christ. He leaves believing that what this man says will in fact happen. He trusts his word. See, sometimes uh, people have said, uh, well, you know, seeing is believing, but it's more biblical to turn it around and say, well, believing is seeing. When you believe in him, then you will see the things that you never dreamt of before. You will see how he really is the Messiah. He might've just looked before like a random teacher walking around. And then you believe and all of a sudden your eyes are changed. You say, oh, now I see he's the Lord. And upon believing in him, you see how he is working all things for your good and for his glory. The man leaves with no evidence. His son was healed except for the word of Christ. And that was enough because the Lord works by his word. This word holds the power of life and death. It was this word that created the universe And it was this word, as we'll see later in John, with a mere—with just his word calls a man who's dead to get up and walk out of a tomb, and he does. So friends, when we say at the end of our Scripture reading on Sunday mornings, when we say, this is the word of the Lord, it is not just a mere ritual, it is a reminder for all of us what we believe to be true about this book, that the Lord works by his word. Romans 10 tells us faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This man says, Jesus has said it, that's enough for me. Jesus said my son will live, that's good enough. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's gonna happen. I trust Jesus. You know, the old hymn was right when it said, trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. The faith the Lord is after is a faith that trusts what he says, and obeys it. Will you obey the commands of Christ even if at the moment you have no evidence that it's actually right except for Christ's word? Will you obey even when you have no proof at the moment that it's going to turn out better for you in the end except for what Jesus says? Would you turn around and walk away from Jesus heading home because you trust your son's gonna live. Some people will only obey as far as they can see. So will you say no to stealing the item that you really want, even though there's no guarantee you're actually gonna get it in the end? Will you say no to that affair, even though there's no guarantee you're gonna have a fulfilling marriage if you do? Will you obey your parents even though you can't possibly see how they're right, right now? It's a faith that trusts the word of Jesus even more than we can see the signs and the wonders he's doing. Faith that Jesus is after is a faith that has not yet become sight. Hebrews 11, one tells us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. what so this man, he's not seen it yet, but he believes. It doesn't seem like he's in a major rush. He comes back home the next day, seems he's kind of just going along on his way, not filled with the same anxiety or despair or desperation that he was before, and he arrives home, and his faith is strengthened by what he sees. Look at verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So what he has is, this man's coming home, and as, as he gets over and he starts walking home, his servants see him, and they run out to meet him, and they say, you're never going to guess what's happened. Your son's better. And the man has a question for him. He asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Servants said, we can't believe it. We can't believe it. All of a sudden he's just doing better now. There's no explanation for it. The doctors weren't there. We, we just, we can't make sense of it. And, and, and this man says, when did that happen? Well, it was about one o'clock yesterday. And he says, that's was, that was exactly when Jesus said he's gonna be healed. That this Jesus has such power that he needs only to utter the word and miles away in another town, his son immediately gets better, sits up, his fever breaks and everyone around can't understand what's happening. This is the power of the Lord Jesus. And what happens is it says that he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. It says when when he heard these things, when he saw these things, the man believed. And you say, wait a second. It told us earlier in verse uh, 50 that he believed. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Well, then later, he himself believed in all his household. You say, well, wait, did the first one just not stick or something? Did he have to do that again? But really, what's happening here is this man believed Jesus. He believed his word. And what happens is when you step out in faith upon that belief, you'll find that it continues to strengthen your faith. It continues to strengthen, say, okay, I I believe, and, and now I'm still believing, and I'm believing all the deeper now because I see what he's done. The question is are you believing in Jesus today? Are you trusting in Jesus today? there's the old illustration preachers have used, I think it was Spurgeon who used it, where uh, someone came and and was struggling with the assurance of salvation. I was wanting to know, how do I know that I'm saved? And Spurgeon said to him, well, um, how do do you know you're alive physically? And he said, well, you could go and get your birth certificate and bring it back to me and prove to me that you have a birth date. Look, I I was really born, here's here's the date. He says, "Here's, here's another way, an easier way. Check your pulse. Are you alive today? Are you breathing today? See, here's the thing. When it comes to spiritual reality, some of you are like, I I don't really know, when when did this belief stick? When did it really come? When when was the date? When was the time? And the question is better, are you believing in Him today? Are you continuing to trust Him today? Are you continuing to follow him today? Are the things that are happening in your life strengthening that belief that you had before? This man believed Jesus, walked out in obedience, and then saw what Jesus did, and that strengthened his faith. It strengthened his belief. And so too with us. We trust Jesus. We trust his word. And as we step out in obedience, that belief is strengthened as we see how the Lord works in our lives. And this man believed, and his whole household did as well, it tells us. Um, wasn't just him, it was his son, his son who had previously been bedridden and unable to do much. His son, now all of a sudden, is better. And his son sits up now with, with, with not just life in his lungs, but eternal life in his lungs. And the servants who had been seeing all these things happen, and they'd been tending to him and tending to his bedside. Now, they just cannot believe what's happened. And then this man comes back and says, let me tell you what happened. Jesus healed him. And they say, this is amazing, and we trust in him. See, the kind of faith Jesus is after, the reason he does signs, signs and wonders are not bad. They're miraculous works of God. But the reason he does those things is so that you would believe in him as the Savior and Lord. They are good insofar as they lead you to that. And that's what happened with this man and his household, is that when they saw Jesus and they saw the miraculous work that he had done in healing his son, all of them say, this man must be the Messiah. We're going to trust in him. That's the kind of faith he's after. See, your your faith is a personal thing, but it is not an individual thing. It is personal. And that it is your faith, not the faith of your parents or your pastors or your friends that saves you. It doesn't tell us, this man believed, so all of his household was good. It says, this man believed, and his whole house did too. It's a personal thing. Have you placed your faith, your trust in Jesus as your Savior? Have you confessed that you are a sinner in need of salvation, and come to Jesus and say, I got nowhere else to turn. You are my only hope, Lord, and trusted in him for eternal life. Have you submitted to him as Lord and followed after him? See, it's a personal thing, but it is not an individual thing. What happens is when you are saved, when you trust in Christ, it has an impact on those around you, it has an impact on your household, it has an impact on your friends and your family, and it joins you with a new household, with the church, it has an impact on those around. So what happens with this man and his son uh, seeps out to the rest of their house and says, look, you believe too, because of what Jesus has done. This was what Jesus is after, the miracles. Both of the signs he did in Cana and Galilee were accompanied by a specific response that those who saw them believed in him. Don't miss what's happening in John's gospel here. What's happening in John's gospel is that Jesus is not being honored or welcomed by the people who seem most likely to receive him. The Jews by and large are so familiar with Jesus that they are not amazed by him. The religious leader like Nicodemus has questions, he doesn't really get it, but the gospel is being believed and embraced by the unlikeliest of peoples. It's being embraced by this woman at the well in Samaria, and it's being embraced by the crowds in Samaria, and it is now being embraced by a pagan official in King Herod's court. Those who are still familiar with Jesus right now in the gospel, they're missing him. But those who are desperate for some hope, they're finding him. What about you? Are you so familiar with Jesus that maybe you've kind of missed it? You're amazed by some of the things he's done, by some of the stories you've heard, but you haven't trusted in him as your savior. You need to realize that he is your only hope for life and also in death, that he offers eternal life for all who believe. To trust his word and trust that he says, that what he says is true when he came to seek and to save the lost, that he came to save sinners, to die in the place of all who rebel against him who have nothing to offer and and could bring nothing to him and who recognize their need for him as their savior. He came and died for them so that they might come to him by faith and belief that all who trust in Jesus as savior will live. It is the difference between life and death, but we're not merely talking physically, we're talking spiritually. See, Jesus says to the man, go, your son's gonna live. And for all who believe in Jesus as savior, you hear the words of Christ to you, go, you too will live not just for a few days, not just prolonging death, but you will live forever with him. Life is filled with hardships and struggles and sorrows. And nothing we can do can avoid that. So we need a kind of faith that gives us a hope in the midst of it. And that looks beyond those and says, there there is coming the hope of glory, where we will be with Jesus forever All these hardships, all these sorrows, all these troubles will be done away with and we will delight in our savior in the fullness of joy. That's the day we're longing for. And so in this world, we need to cling by faith to the Messiah, the savior, the Lord, who has come to rescue his people, to save sinners. And because he really did die and really did rise, then we too have the hope that on that last day, we will rise. And we will hear the words of Jesus, go. Now you too will live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word given to us by which we can know you and love you. I pray that you would teach us, convict us of the areas in which perhaps our hearts are turning to the wrong things, are resting upon uh, even the signs and wonders you do, the miraculous things you perform more than they are in you as the Lord and Savior. Would you cause us to delight more in Jesus than we delight in your signs? We praise you for your wonderful works. You are mighty and worthy to be praised for them. But how much greater it is to know you personally, to delight in you as our greatest joy and our greatest treasure. Lord, we long for the day where our faith will be made sight, where we will see you and know you. We long for that day In the meantime, we walk by faith. We trust your word. We step out in obedience. Even though we don't see what you have promised all play out right now, we trust you that you are going to be faithful as you always are and always will be. Would you cause us to believe in you in deeper ways? Would you cause us to delight in you in deeper ways? And would you cause us to obey you in deeper ways than we have before so that you would receive all the praise and glory and honor that you are due, both now and for all of eternity. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.